following teaching is from the 2015 Man Up Men's Retreat at Trinity Pines. We hope it is a blessing to you. For more information about the men's ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, you can visit us on the web at houstonsfirst.org forward slash men. That's houstonsfirst.org forward slash men. Yeah. Oh, that's too kind. That's too kind. Um, okay, let's do that one more time. What I want to do this morning, and, and we're going to have to rush through this because we've got a lot of blanks for you to fill in, so you melancholies will be just thrilled. Man, God, i got blanks to fill in, and I'll try not to miss one. But if I do, don't hyperventilate. We'll get back to it. But I want, to, I, want, I want this time that we spend together to be simplistic and practical. I don't want us to think that, oh, my God, to be a godly man, to be a godly husband, to be a godly father, I can't do this. No, you can. And I want it to be simple. We're not going to drive really deep into Scripture and say, okay, this is the only way we can do it, and if we don't, God's going to come down and go, um, I, I do want to keep this simple. It, Rosemary and I, uh, along with Virgil and Lois Gentry back in 1981, started the newlywed department at Houston's First Baptist. And I mean, not nothing with what we've done, but you've seen what has happened with the newlywed department at our church. It's just, I mean, over the years, it's just exploded. And it's important that you understand that there is a reason churches ought to be reaching out to newlyweds and to singles and to marrieds and to fathers because you need to be a spiritual leader from the time you are whenever. It could be as a child. But whenever God really takes hold of you and says, you need to be a leader. So we're going to take a look at some things that are hopefully very simplistic from the standpoint that you can look at this and go, you know what? This makes sense, and I can do this. Because you can. It's a struggle, yes. It's hard to do, yes, but you can do it. If you will, turn over to page three, I think it is. What a spiritual leader is not. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way so we don't have to think about it. Uh, and this comes from Tim El Dr. Tim Elmore in his book, Soul Provider. He says that uh, we're not preachers, we're not a boss, we're not the Holy Spirit, we're not a know-it-all. And we're not idealistic. It's important that we understand those particular attitudes have no place in your life as you lead yourself, your friends, your family, etc. This is not you. Here's what I want you to do. After each one of those lines, he is not a preacher, he is not a dictator. I want, after each one of those lines, I want you to write the word listen. Just take a moment and, and write listen by each one of those. Now, what do I mean there? I mean that as a spiritual leader, one of the most important things you have to do is listen. Listen to God, listen to yourself, listen to people around you. You're never too old to learn. I'm 70 years old and I learn every day. My wife and I have been married 52 years. We still learn from one another. She is a new creature every day to me. And I love her that much more because 
She is constantly changing, and the challenge for me is to keep up with her change. I'm constantly changing. Her challenge is to keep up with my changes. But we have the responsibility of taking the lead as the spiritual leader in whatever capacity of life we're in. So today I want to speak to singles, husbands, and fathers. How many of you are singles? How many are husbands? How many are fathers? Okay. See, we've got a good broad base here. So the, the message is to each one of you. It's not to just one single group. Each one of you needs to be aware of the fact that you are called to be a spiritual leader. Now, he also says, because there are relatively few men who reflect true biblical leadership, it's easy to slip into one of these stereotypes. So you be sure that you're noticing who you are at any given moment so that you're not slipping into these stereotypes. Now, he also goes on to say that you have the tough job. Now, I don't want a single one of you to go home and tell your wives, hey, Ron Papool told me this morning that I have the tough job. It's, it's, see, I don't really care whether you survive the moment or not. I don't want to have to deal with it. Because I can tell you there are times in her life she doesn't give a hoot how tough your job is because hers is tougher than anybody's. But you know what? You have to respect that. You have to know that she has a tough job. So your really tough job, along with her tough job, is being the spiritual leader standing by and supporting her during her tough times. So yes, we do have a tough job, but the reason it's a tough job is because God called us to be the ultimate responsible person in this relationship, whether it's friend to friend, whether it's husband to wife, or whether it's father to children. We have the ultimate responsibility. It's a tough role to play. Here's the interesting thing. It's being requested by women. I don't care if your wife, and I can say this from experience, I don't care if your wife is a strong, choleric, type A personality. The idea is she still wants you to be the leader. It's a woman thing. She wants you to take the lead. So don't be afraid to take the lead. Don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone and do something that is going to encourage her. It's desperately needed in the church. I want to say that again. It's desperately needed in the church. The church needs strong leadership. Participate in church. Don't get caught up in the busyness of church, but be a real worshiper and a real participant in the life of the church. You can't do any more than that. So one of the most important things that you have to consider, and, and, and seemingly today is more difficult than it's ever been before, it's purity. How do you as a man stay pure? Well, as a single, one of the things you're not to be is you're not to be a fornicator. Some of, the, some of the young men I talk to, when I use the word fornication, they're going, what does that mean? <clears throat> well, here's the sad thing. Let me read these to you. The Holman, which is the Bible that we study from, 
the English Standard Bible, the New Living Translation, the GNB, and I can't remember what that is, uh, the Message, the NIV, the New NIV, the uh, World English Bible, none of those have the word fornication in them. It's kind of been pushed aside. It's, it's listed as either immorality or sexual immorality. It doesn't go to the very specific thing that says, if you go to Webster's Dictionary, it says fornication is sexual activity between two people, neither are married. So that means if you're single, you shouldn't be having sex. The drive is there. The need is there. The lust is there. It's all there, but you shouldn't be doing it. So you need to maintain your purity while you're single. And for husbands, of course, we realize that adultery is all through the Bible. They didn't leave that one out, thank goodness. So we know that we shouldn't be having extramarital, extramarital affairs. And then for fathers, how do you stay pure? You do not, under any circumstance, bring pornography into the home. Because your kids are curious. They will go through your closets. They will go through your drawers. They will go through your garage. At some point in time in their life, they're going to go through every single thing you own when you don't know it. So you can't hide the stuff. Of course, we could go back and say you shouldn't have pornography in your life at any time in your life. That's fine. But as a father, be sure you never bring it home so that your children can be exposed to it. Where does this all begin? It begins with a godly man. So I'm starting with the singles. Now, I can also say on this timeline of life, as a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, because you can't be any of the other two until you're first a godly man, sometimes you can be a godly father before you become a godly man. But that's not the way God wants it. He wants you to start out as a godly man. Uh, if you will, turn to Ephesians 4. Someone read verses 1 through 3. The quickest guy there, read it. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, as you can see here, what I've written down is men, godly men walk worthy of the calling they have received with all humility and gentleness with, and patience, accepting one another in love. You know, Christ says, love your heavenly Father with all your mind, your heart, your soul, every part of your body you love him. But secondly, and equally important, is to love your neighbor. Now, the only way we can love each other is to have love within ourselves. And that comes from a, the relationship we have with God through Christ, which then gives us the ability to love one another. It doesn't mean we're still not living in the flesh and we're going to be a part of the flesh, but it's because of that relationship we have with Christ that allows us to get past that point. And the dignity, uh, the, uh, would they diligently keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us all together. Unity is an incredible word. We talked earlier about fellowship. Well, fellowship is created within the confines of unity. And it's, it's when, when Rosemary and I talk to couples about 
relationships, or we talk to singles about relationships, when you step on an elevator with someone else or two other people, if you say anything at all, you're having a relationship. So relationships are a part of your life. And as you grow and mature as a Christian, your relationship should grow and mature as well. But it starts with being a godly man. Uh, verse 11, what are the gifts mentioned there? Just look at verse 11 and start pumping them out. Okay, these are kind of specific, but if, have, how many of you have taken the uh, spiritual gifts test? From there, consider what your spiritual gifts are. may not be one of these mentioned, but they all tie back. Because, let's put it this way, as a husband and as a father, you're going to be, or should be, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. And this kind of responsibility you take in dealing with your wife and your children. Verse 12, why are these why are we given these gifts? What are we told in verse 12? Okay, we're equipping the saints in order to, to carry the truth forward. You know, it's, uh, we need to spend time in, in, our, in the Word. Spend time allowing God to talk to us and train us as well as being in events like this. Hopefully, when you leave here today, you will have been in some way equipped to better move forward and tell the truth to others. Verses 13 and 15 through 15, what are we being asked to accomplish? To mature and share. To mature, yes. Because it's, it's through the maturity that we gain from all these other things that allows us then to go out and share. And we can be at a certain point in our lives and say, that's really outside my comfort zone. The surprising thing is the more time you spend with God, allowing Christ to work through your lives, the easier it is for you to reach out to others. So the maturing factor is vitally important. Uh, and single men, if you, it, when, you've got to uh, take home as well. That first part of that looks at uh, maturing and developing, you know, where are you in these steps of actually maturing in your life in order to accomplish the things that God wants accomplished through your life? So let's move on to the next page, Godly Husband. First, recognize that you formed this bond of marriage under a covenant, not a contract. It's based on grace and mercy. which leads to trust. And I'm telling you, and I really don't have to tell you this, you know, but I'm telling you that as a married individual, there is a great requirement for grace and mercy on both ends. Maybe sometimes more on your wife's end, but there is a requirement for grace and mercy. And the, the better you understand that and the more willing you're to extend grace and mercy, the better off you're going to be. After all, that's the way God deals with us. Everything that God loves about us is presented to us through grace and mercy. And we need to do the same thing reaching out to our wives and to our kids. So, you're still a spiritual leader. You're a godly man. 
You're a spiritual leader, but once you're married, you have also become a servant leader. You are the head and responsible for overall care and provision for your wife and your family. Ephesians 5:23 through 27 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands. Critical thing there, own husbands, not man, not men. Husbands, this is critical. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Most of you guys would say, I'd take a bullet for my wife. I'd push her out of the way of the bus. That's a macho thing. I'd do that. Just, if the example's there, I'd do it. But he goes on to say something else. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, that takes us beyond saying, I'd be willing to give my life for my wife. That's the everyday walk of life. It's not just, it's not just telling your wife you love her. It's being loving. It's doing all those small things. It's putting your your hand on her, on her neck, guiding her through the door after you've opened the door for her. It's praising her in front of other people. It's listening to her rather than trying to fix it. Now, once you've listened, she may ask you to fix it, but you can't automatically go, I've done this. Rosemary came to me after she talked with her mother. They both were in tears before they hung up on the phone. Rosemary comes to me and starts spewing this stuff that I'd heard so many times before. And I said, as she's in the middle of a sentence, I go, sweetheart, what you need to do is, and she said, stop. I know what I need to do. I just need you to listen. Let me express what I'm feeling. Once I say that, I'm okay. So we have to listen. Remember back in the first page, we talked about listening by all of those things. It's incredibly important that we listen. So we need to be loving husbands and doing loving things. Um, down to number three. Well, let's see. Uh, number two, we are to lead from our knees. We are to be the servant. What did Jesus do? In John 13, 3 through 5 and 15, he washed his disciples' feet. That is the absolute lowest thing anyone could do in that day and time. It was the bottom of the rung when it came to what someone was responsible for. Jesus put the towel around his waist, bent down with the water, and washed his disciples' feet. We are to be servant leaders. We are to serve our wives and our families. It's vitally important that we understand that. Now, in number three, you are the provider. First Timothy 5, 8, someone can, would get to that, if you would, please. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, 
Okay, so we're very clearly told we are to divide. Now, if, if someone is in here, you're, you're out of work right now, you can't help that. It's not, it's not a, a blight on humanity if we lose our jobs. It's the very fact that our attitude and our intent is we are to do everything we can to be that one who provides for our families. But we can provide monetarily. What are some other ways that we can provide? Encouragement. Encouragement, yes, absolutely. Prayer. Prayer. I'm telling you guys, if you're married, if you possibly can, the very first thing you do in the morning before you get out of bed, you reach over and grab your wife's hand, and maybe you have to, maybe you have to get up five minutes early. You reach over and grab your wife's hand, and you pray for her aloud, calling her name out aloud, asking God to protect her during the course of the day, to watch over her, to honor her thoughts and her attitudes, blah, 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 to bless her, whatever. It will absolutely alter her day. It will lift it up like she's never heard before. Then she needs to do the same thing for you. There is no better way in the world to start your day than the two of you praying aloud for each other and calling each other's names out. Hearing your name lifted by your wife is incredible. And the same is true when you're lifting her name up. What's another way? Yes. Yes. That's, I, I mean, and, and, and honestly, I mean, I, I went through a period of, of my life when I just really didn't know how to do a devotional. And I, that was for myself. I certainly didn't know how to do it for my family. You know, I, I didn't know how to encourage them through the Word. I, I spent time in the Word. I did preparation, those kinds of things. But I, I didn't know how to lead my family. And it took a while before I could really step outside that and be able to be the spiritual leader that God had called me to be. So there's not an end to this. It, can, it continues to grow. So you're not only a spiritual leader, well, okay, sorry, Melancholy, let me go back to this. You are to give love and protection. Ephesians 5.33 says, in summary, husbands, you're to love your wives. Wives, you're to respect your husbands. But then in 1 Peter 3.7, he talks about treating her as a precious vessel. So we are to give her love and protection. Then you're not only a spiritual leader and a servant leader, but you're also a mutual leader. This whole thing about husbands and wives in, in Ephesians starts off in Ephesians 5, starts off at 21, says, submitting yourselves one to another. He's talking about Christians submitting yourselves one to another. But if you're equally yoked, you're both Christian. So you need to be submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Then he goes on in Galatians 3:28 and says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither free nor slave, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, because of Christ's humility, we are Christians, we, as Christians, we are to submit to one another. And then catch this, you are equal partners with differing abilities. You make decisions together, but one of you has the skill set to carry that out to execute whatever decision you've made. It doesn't mean you have to do everything. 
But you lead in the discussions. But you also lead by listening. I cannot tell you how much I have grown and become the man I am today because I listened to my wife. She has taught me an incredible amount about myself and about what, where I should be and what I should be doing. Sometimes it's hard for me to listen. Because sometimes when, when she really thinks that she is encouraging me and, and prompting me and prodding me and moving me in a certain direction that she feels like I want to go, because of my choleric nature, I think she's nagging. And I'm going, oh my God, here he comes again. <laughs> but I have to stop and go, wait a minute. The last thing in the world she would ever want to do to me is to nag me. The last thing in the world she would ever want to do is to make me mad. She would want to do anything in her power that she possibly could to lift me up and, and prop me up on something that she can respect. So I have to stop and listen, even when it's difficult. You are on the same team. Okay, let's go to godly fathers. See, this is good, singles, because you're learning a little something about marriage, but you're also going to learn a little something about fatherhood. The job has just gotten tougher. It's probably exponentially tougher. And the more kids you have, the tougher it gets. It doesn't get better. It gets tougher. So we're going to look at Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not, what? Depart from it. See, our responsibility is to train. We cannot make the ultimate decisions for them. I mean, there were times when our, our daughter and our son made decisions. We're just kind of going, oh, my God, did we encourage that? But they reach a point where you, you, you kind of have to let them go. We, we have a job as parents. That job is to train the child to leave. We've got to train that child in such a way that when they walk out of the house and say goodbye and we're not coming back until we have a next visit, they have to be a good citizen in the world they live in. That's our job. We are to train them to leave. But we also have a goal that in that life cycle of training, we're also encouraged to teach them their need for Jesus Christ. You want to see your children come to the Lord. Now, there's some ways and some things that we can do that will help that. We can you can teach by your example. I want everyone in here to read with me Proverbs 23, 26. Let's read this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. What, what in the world kind of responsibility is that? I want each one of you to memorize that and to say that over and over and over again. Because you are the one your children look to. That's a heavy-duty responsibility. Like I said, it just got tougher. 
You need to be able to say that with real honesty in your heart and say, I'm doing everything I can to be the model for my child. The next thing there is live God's word before them. Because if you're properly teaching them according to God's word, they're going to know it. If you're teaching them one thing and living something else, they're going to know that. And what are they going to pay attention to? They're going to pay attention to the model you're giving them, not the words you're giving them. It takes both. Build a family altar and look for spiritual training opportunities. Now, go back to what I said a while ago. It's sometimes for men, it's very difficult to, to, to be the spiritual leader from the standpoint that you're, you're leading in spiritual things. We, we can know that we do a lot of good things in these relationships, and, and we think that, that it, we're doing those good things because we're paying attention to what the Spirit is saying to us. But you have to look for spiritual opportunities with your children to teach them. And sometimes it requires building that altar, which, which means maybe you're doing a devotion. What, 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 whatever it looks like, it can look like many different things, but you feel like that it's, it's so far outside your comfort zone, it's going to be very difficult for you to handle. You just you want to stay back within, and, and hopefully your wife is going to start teaching them Scripture and things like that. No, that's, that should be you or the two of you doing it together with you leading. And there are many different things you can do Try them. We went through a, just a, a, an enormous amount of things trying to develop family devotion time. And I mean, in the beginning, it, none of it looked good. I mean, we struggled through it. We worked hard. It just wasn't happening. But we had to keep working at it until we found something that was comfortable that <clears throat> the two of us liked and our two kids liked. And then we were never as consistent with it as we wanted to be. We kept letting life get in the way. And I, I kid you not, and you know this, life gets in the way. That's what Satan wants to happen. He wants you every day to be throttled by something. And he doesn't care what it is. But he definitely knows what your hot buttons are and he's going to work on them. So Oswald Chambers he feels that studying God's word or the renewing of your mind is an important part of our total spiritual growth. It prepares us to be equipped to transfer the knowledge to our children. So again, it starts with us as a godly man. That takes itself to being a godly husband. And then that builds a foundation for us to be a godly father. Okay, here's September the 9th devotion. We are apt to forget that a man is not only committed to Jesus Christ for salvation, he is committed to Jesus Christ's view of God, of the world, of sin, and of the devil, and this will mean that he must recognize the responsibility of being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And when this was written, when they said mind, this is what they meant. It was a, an encompassing area just like this. The renewing of your mind and your heart. We can have all the knowledge in the world and not be able to do anything with it because it hasn't moved itself to our heart. The longest distance in the world is at 18 inches from your brain to your heart. Oh, roughly 18 inches. Some people have longer necks than others. 
But the idea is we, we are motivated, we reach out, we have a greater understanding through the heart. The mind is a wonderful thing. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. But we have to have God's wisdom to go along with the knowledge through the heart in order to reach out and be who we ought to be with our kids. They depend on us. They are dependent little yard birds, rug rats, whatever you want to call them. They are very dependent. And we have to accept that responsibility of being the one they can be dependent upon. We have a great grandson who is now 16 months old, and by the time he reaches 18 months old, we will have a second great grandson. No, it wasn't planned. So they're going to be, I think they call them, if they're within 18 months of each other, I think they're called um, Irish twins. Yes, yes. And our grandson, God bless his heart, because the first great-grandson is an absolute live liar. He's the poster child for the Energizer Bunny. He is perpetual motion. He never stops. <laughs> I mean, we love to go just sit and watch him. You don't have to do anything else, just sit and watch him. He will entertain you from morning to night. And, and Trey, our grandson, is going, Granddaddy, I, 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 this second one has got to be a girl. There's no way we can handle two boys. And I said, well, don't worry about it because maybe they'll be diametrically opposed to one another, personality-wise, and the second one will just be laid back and laissez-faire, you know, who, who gives a hoot? You just, you know, just, hey, give me a place to sit down. I'll be happy. But then God may have a sense of humor, and he may be the identical. <laughs> <of it. laughs> so we don't know yet, but we're going to find out in a couple of months. But it's vitally important that we understand that we have to train up a child in the way he should go. And that's dependent upon the child's personality. What does the child need? What, what, are, what are we, they're dependent, so what are we giving to the child? We can't be looking at our child and training them to be who we always wanted to be. They cannot be our alter ego. You have to understand who your child is. Is your child athletic? Maybe they're not. Maybe they're very artsy. Train that child to be the best he or she can be no matter who they are. Because their greatest sense of value and worth is going to come from you. The greatest teardown they'll ever experience is outside of their home. They'll get that easily. It's your responsibility to see to that you're constantly lifting them up, letting them know that they are loved beyond their own understanding. So in, in part of that, we have to look at what's the difference between punishment and discipline. And this is vitally important. It's on page seven. What is the purpose of punishment? It's to inflict penalty for an offense. The purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity. And I'm telling you guys, one of the, one of the, one of the things that we, we lack is control of temper. And so when we are trying desperately to discipline our child, we end up punishing them. 
Didn't, we didn't set out to do that. We didn't mean to do that. That's just what happens when we can't control, through the grace of God, our Heavenly Father, our temper. So what does punishment focus on? It po focuses on past misdeeds. Discipline focuses on future correct acts. What is the attitude of punishment? Hostility and frustration. The attitude of discipline is love and concern on the part of the parent. And the resulting emotion in the child from punishment is fear and guilt. And under discipline, it's security. And your children at some point will tell you where you went wrong. On Thanksgiving, um, I'd, I'd served almost 10 years on staff at um, a small Baptist church in Clarksville, Tennessee, Hillcrest Baptist Church. Years later, our daughter was married, our, our son was dating. We were, we were, it was about two o'clock in the morning. We'd had this wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. We were sitting in the living room, just laid back and talking about old times, having a wonderful, wonderful time. And in the midst of all of that, our daughter said, Dad, I think there's something you really need to understand. We love the fact that you served on staff at Hillcrest Baptist Church, that you were so involved with the youth and with the music. But we would have loved, and Lee and I have talked about this, we would have loved some Sunday mornings that we just get up and go to the lake for a picnic and not go to church. I'm telling you what, that was a stab in the old heart because what it made me realize is I got caught up in the busyness of church thinking I was caught up in worship and I took it away from my kids. You have to be conscious of what those kids are. And if they're not sharing with you what their needs are, ask them. And based on their personalities and their, and their, uh, lang their love language, their needs could be very different. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my wife is high maintenance because she has all five love languages. I've got to think about everything I say and do. <laughs> yeah, am, am I meeting one of those needs, you know? But, but the same thing is true with your kids. You may have two children that their primary love language is quality time. But one of them's quality time may be uh, you're going to the park with them. The other one's quality time may be that you're reading with them. So you have to understand what their needs are. Flipping over to the other page, the last page there, punishment, is a form of retribution or payback and produces very negative characteristics in our children. There, I've listed some here. There are many others you could fill in other blanks. The whole idea of this morning is I wanted you to be aware of these things. I've written everything in here. You've written in your blanks to take with you so that you can refer back to it. But also, just use this as a stepping stone. I've taken things from uh, Chip Ingram. Um, um, there is an incredible book out there called um, I'm Not Your Friend, I'm Your Parent, and it was written by Edie Hill. She was a journalist and was, was on the original uh, Fox in the Morning. She, you know, they have two guys and a woman. Well, she was the woman that was on there for years. But she broke away and wrote this book because she and her husband both were divorced. They got married. They each had three children. And since marriage, they have two children. So they have eight children going from itty bitty babies all the way up to teenagers. 
and she, she writes profoundly but with great humor. So I would strongly suggest, and I think I got the title right, but there's, there's so many books out there. I started to do a, um, just give you a, a resource of things that are out there, but I failed to do that. But you do have your take home. <laughs> so there are things in there for you husbands, there are things in there for you fathers, and there are things in there for you singles. Pay attention to those. Refer to them. So with all that being said, let's just have some share time. Any questions? Yes, sir. Well, the reason you're not idealistic, you need to be more realistic. You need to truly understand, especially for marriage, you need to truly understand what your wife's needs are, the reason she's having, the moods that she's having. Um, many of you, I, I think I can honestly say this, there is probably a period of about three to five days during the month that your wife has an out-of-body experience. <laughs> and the family pays for it. She has no control over that whatsoever. And, so, and some women are, are harshly affected by it. Some are hardly affected at all. But it's the idea we need to know at the moment with, with, with whoever we're dealing with, we need to understand realistically what's going on and realistically what kind of decisions can we make to make life better. Because if we start becoming very idealistic, we're going to see everything through rose-colored glasses. And that's not going to resolve issues that are out there before mm -hmm. us. I hope that answers your question. What else? Yes? Uh, you alluded to a conversation that your wife had with her mom, and it just kind of sounded like there was some trouble or something out there. My question is, do you get married, and if there is um, trouble with, with in-laws or relatives and stuff, like, how do you encounter that, like, obeying God's word or honoring your parents while also loving your wife, protecting your family? And okay, here's, the, the, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. The best way I can explain this is this. We never completely disconnect ourselves from our families, from our families of origin. Our mothers and fathers were very clearly told to honor them. So there is never a complete disconnection. But once you are married, you completely change your priorities. Once you're married, the, after God, the number one priority in your life is your spouse. And I'll be honest with you, parents go way down the rung. They happen to fit into that category of everything else. You've got God, family, and everything else. They go into the category of everything else. And then at times, they may move up and down those rungs, depending on what your relationship is with them at the time. But when there becomes any kind of strife, if, if one set of parents or, or one parent happens to be a little unruly, the only person that can deal with that parent is the child of that parent. Now, I would say the only time that might differ is if the, it, say for instance, you're married, you're visiting with your, with your in-laws, and all of a sudden, your family attacks your wife. Not physically, but verbally abusive. 
it's time for you to step in. And, but, but do it with love. You know, I, I, this is a woman I love. You're, you're being hurtful, you're, you're being disrespectful, um, and, and I am to protect her, I'm to, I'm, I'm to provide protection for her. But any other situation, it's her responsibility to deal with her parents. If your parents are having a problem with her, it's your responsibility to deal with them. And the last thing in the world any of you should do is once you're married and you and your wife are having problems, don't go to your parents. Because you and your wife are going to settle this. It's going to be taken care of. To them, it's a black mark. And it's going to be a black mark from now on. You, you find somebody you can go to if you can't work it out yourselves. Did that help? Okay, good. What else? Yes. There is no real answer to that because, because every situation is different. Even though the premise is the same in the, in the household itself, it's going to be different. And that has to be worked out with you and your spouse. Because the, the hierarchy that I gave a while ago, the, the areas of priority, first God, then each of you, and then the children, um, th that's going to vacillate a little bit when, when your children do come along because they are so dependent. You, you have to really kind of extend yourself to your children. But by the same token, you still cannot forget each other. Now, with all these busy things in life that interfere with that, it does become very difficult. That's why it's vitally important that on a regular basis, even if it's only for five minutes, you and your wife share how you feel at that moment. You've come in from work. James Dobson said he used to get, his body got home 30 minutes before his mind did. So he and Shirley worked out the fact that he would come in, give her a kiss, hug her, and then he would go to his cave. And for 30 minutes, he changed clothes, he relaxed, he thought about nothing, he went into his I'm thinking nothing box. <laughs> it's a great box, folks. I mean it. You, you can escape a lot of things in that empty box. And unfortunately, we guys have a lot of empty boxes that are really right next to our sex box. So, you know, it just, <laughs> it's really easy for us to compartmentalize. So, yeah, those boxes are great. But we're single thinkers and single taskers, usually. Um, but, but it really is important that the two of you just talk about, this is where I am right at this moment. I, I, am, I am so tired, but part of my responsibility is to be the sacrificial leader as well as spiritual leader, the mutual leader, all of that. We, because it's going to be sacrificial. 
but you both have to be sacrificing at the same time. Yes, sir. Being as a leader in a family, it's better to be a peacemaker. Yes. Yes. You can get anything with the hostile, anybody can take time. Yeah. 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 Take time and do it. And for, and for a choleric individual, and that's the, the powerful personality, it's hard for them to be peacemakers because they want control of everything. So that's where God has to step in and say, I'm going to take your strengths, but I'm going to put them under my control so that you're not constantly bullying people and causing friction and those kinds of things. So yeah, peacemaking is incredible. Every family needs a phlegmatic. Our son is phlegmatic sanguine. That means he's peaceful, um, people-oriented. God, he is fun. Now, he has a hard time setting goals, but he is, but he is, it's learned behavior. He's a, he's a corporate trainer for Wells Fargo, and he has learned how to challenge himself to be on time, to be creative, to set goals, to make things happen, when, when really inside he's wanting just to go, why should I stand when I can sit? Why should I sit, sit when I can lay down? But you talk about a peacemaker. When he calls us and says, hey, if it's okay with you guys, I'm coming home for the weekend. He lives in San Antonio. We start laughing right then. And we laugh until he leaves. He just comes in and creates fun and joy in the family. We just love it. Everybody needs phlegmatic friends and phlegmatic family members. Yes, sir. Now, I grew up in a home where we weren't raised in a Christian lifestyle, and something I always had an issue with growing up was uh, discipline versus punishment. Mm -hmm. And what are some clear ways to tell I'm not upset? Yes, I want to. What are some clear definitions of ways that you can determine if you're truly using discipline or punishment in a correct time? Well, if, if you look at that, that layout there, we have to be careful of anger. Anger is going to lead to punishment. We have to be careful of our motives. Why are we doing something? You know, are, are we trying to create something new in this person rather than who they are? Have we identified who they are? Because that allows us, when you're, when you're disciplining a child, you're meeting the needs of the child and preparing them for the future. It's, it's, if you don't know the child, it's very difficult for you to meet the needs of the child. You have to be observant. You have to ask questions. But it's a matter of understanding why you are doing what you're doing with that child at the moment. Quick example. Our kids were little. I think Corey was um, 10 and Lee was 5 or no, she was about 9 and he was 4 or 5. We were in Atlanta. We, we went on vacation. There, uh, I don't know, a week, 10 days, something. We'd gone to the zoo. We had left the zoo. Lee was in the back seat with Corey. The two kids were in the back seat. Oh, and by the way, then we didn't have seatbelts. Um, we did have straps on the horses, but we didn't have seatbelts on the seats. That was really a joke. <laughs> <clears throat> so anyway, Lee has this little sailor-type hat little blue thing that he wore to protect his, his head from the sun. And he just absolutely went nuts, aggravating his sister. And, and I was afraid Corey was going to kill him. 
So after a while, Rosemary and I both kept telling him to settle down, you know, just settle down. You're you're getting in trouble with us and your sister's going to kill you. She's going to open the door and push you out. (laughs) And he just kept on. Well, his little cap was sitting next to, between the two of us in the front seat. I forgot about the fact that in that little cap with the little rim around it was these metal braids or metal grommets. I grabbed that cap and I reached in the back seat and went whop. And I mean, it sounded off. And the instant I heard that sound, tears just rolled out of my eyes because I realized what I'd done. And he screamed. I just pulled the car off the side of the road and got out and grabbed him and just held on to him and just wept with him because I realized what I'd done. I had lost my temper. I did not consider what the effects of what I was doing were going to be. Now, I have shared that story with him, and he doesn't remember it. I praise God for that. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, he's a lot bigger than I am. (laughs) You know, it's another thing to consider. Don't be physical with the kid, because they can grow up to be bigger than you are. Either that or don't feed them. Whatever. What else? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm about to be a new father, and one of the things that we've been talking about is is what, you know, how we start that routine with them from the get-go. And so I would just love any suggestions of what people have done to start that routine of, you know, where they should read to them, you know, from mm-hmm. the get-go or, or whatever it is, what that routine looks like to help start from the beginning so you're not, you know, two, three, four years down the road having to try to Well, again, I'll, I'll go back to one of the first things you need to do is really observe the child. Because even as a baby, they start showing their personality tendencies. <clears throat> and, and once you can get a handle on who they are, you can determine what their needs are. So that could vacillate during time as to how you deal with the child. The next child could be very different. Our two children are, are diametrically opposed. They're our, our daughter, it's like I chewed her up and spit her out. She is choleric melancholy. Our son is sanguine phlegmatic. He's more like his mother. And, and the idea is we didn't understand that in the beginning, and we thought everything was cookie cutter. You do, do the same thing for all the kids, and, and they'll be wonderful. Well, no, you got you, you to be flexible with the kids because their lives are flexible. But observe the child. Um, and, but, but really, no matter what their personality is, read to them, yeah. You know, have, if, if they get caught up with, with seeing that screen, that TV screen, start plugging things in there that's going to be spiritually entertaining to them. Um, there is a wealth of stuff out there. So it, it's, it's all a matter of there is no cookie-cutter way to do this. It's observing the child and see what the child's needs are. Guys, I've enjoyed the time with you. This is... This has been a wonderful experience, and thank you for being here. Take this with you, refer to it, share it with your wives. And whatever you do, don't tell her you've got the tough job.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the 2015 Man Up Men's Retreat hosted by Houston's First Baptist Church. We hope this message has been encouraging to you and pray you have a great day.